welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about Hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you can join us today. We're going to have a very interesting conversation about what is good care in memory care. And this is part of a four-part series. This is number three. But before I introduce you to our guests, I always like to give a couple of shout outs. So first of all, I want to shout out to all our new listeners. If you're not familiar with us, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations like with people like you all around the world at all levels. So please feel free to reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. I'd also like to mention that alzheimerspeaks.com has updated our website. So visit there. It's much easier to maneuver. In fact, we have one whole section that just has free educational resources, things you can listen to, things you can watch, things you can download, um, ideas on memory cafes, dementia-friendly communities, and so much more. Betty the Bald Chicken is now available to purchase. It's been a keynote of mine for years, and people have asked me to put it in book form. It is now available. It is not necessarily dementia-specific, but it came to me when I was in the thick of things with dementia. So it definitely applies, but it's all about lessons in how to care. So if someone is struggling, maybe a child in school with bullying, maybe someone's gone through a divorce or had a death in the family and you're just feeling awkward and out of place, Betty the Bald Chicken will um, hit a home run for you. So I also want to mention a couple of events that are coming up. One is called Changing Roles in Caregiving, and that is going to take place on Friday, April 28th from 9.30 to 2.30, and you'll also receive lunch. It's totally free, and this is being sponsored by Silver Creek on Main in Maple Grove, Minnesota. It is an in-person session. We're going to do two programs. One is on living graciously alongside dementia, getting tips and tricks. And the other is your words and thoughts impact how you care. Feel free to sign up for that. You can call Heidi at 763-955-1750. And then for others that are in this industry, I would really encourage you to check out Mods Awards. There you can win anywhere from five to $25,000 for work you've already done. Uh, so this isn't about pitching something you want to do, but it's for work that you've already done that you think would make a difference. And then last, I want to mention Dementia Map, our global resource directory. There you'll find 150 different categories. You can search for resources. There's a blog, a glossary of terms, and there's also an events calendar. So check that out. That is free to use. And maybe some of you listening want to be um, listed on there. We have both free and paid plans that you can have, but it is absolutely free to the end user. 
we're going to hear from the adaptive equipment and caregiving corner and then we'll be right back. I love the footbar walker and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest, there are some clients who despite our best rehab efforts just aren't able to return to performing a sit to stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, so we are back. And again, we are going to be talking about quality of life in memory care. What does good care look like? And this is part three of this series. So today I am so thrilled we are going to have with us James Lee, who is with Bella Groves. We also have Deanna Vigliata with Seni. And we are going to, again, be discussing what does good care look like in memory care. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with James, uh, James Lee is the CEO and co-founder of Bella Groves. And it's a company in San Antonio, Texas, that's helping families in their journey of supporting a loved one living with dementia. And James has 15 years of experience in the senior living industry and is really focused on helping his local community in Central Texas. And then we have Deanna Vigliata, who has over 30 years in healthcare and in sales management background. And she has uh, just done such a great job. It's been a pleasure working with her and her team with Sunny. She is the uh, national sales manager for Seni, and she uh, and her team are really relationship-based. They are totally approaching incontinence care on a whole different level that I know I haven't seen, and I think many others haven't as well. It's really about informing and educating people on what is a high-performing adult incontinence product. And uh, this is, you know, their area of expertise, and they're doing an absolute fabulous, fabulous job with this reaching out to home care and memory care, assisted living, um, pretty much anyone who will listen. And they are really making a big headway in bringing dignity back to those living with incontinence. And so I know I'm going to love this conversation this afternoon because these individuals love their jobs. They love what they're doing, and they are very mission-based on um, really bringing comfort to society so everyone can live a better life. Well, I am so excited to have the two of you on the show today. Um, I know this is going to be a, a fun conversation because I, I see you both as futurists and just envisioning the world a much better place, and your, your hearts and souls are really behind 
uh, your work and your mission. So before we get into, you know, kind of the deep dive of the conversation of what is good care look like, I always like to ask everybody if they've been touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. And James, I'm going to throw that to you first, if you don't mind. Yeah. Thank you, Lori. And thanks for having me on here uh, with Deanna. Um, I, I have been touched by dementia. Um, my grandmother had Alzheimer's disease as far as we knew. Um, and I say that because we're not positive. I'm not sure that my family got an official diagnosis, um, but she passed away when I was um, early uh, early 20s. This was before I even got into senior living. And I only know it retroactively looking back on that time of our lives that um, you know, she she was living with dementia. Uh, we just didn't officially have the terminology as a family. Um, but today we were still touched by it. My wife's grandmother currently has Alzheimer's disease. And um, so, yeah, from, from a family perspective, and then from my immediate uh, family and friends perspective, there's there's so many. And so I I I'd be surprised to find people who aren't touched by it in some way um these days. Yeah, I I agree. Um and a lot of times people think they aren't and then all of a sudden they're like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, there is, you know, it's it because it doesn't bubble to the top usually right. unless you're just right smack in the middle of it. Um, mm-hmm. Deanna, um, for our audience, I, I know if they've been watching the series, they probably heard your answer, but if you'd share it for those that are new, that would be great. Yeah. So I think I may have even shared recently, the, the older that I get, I'm, I'm starting to notice more and more of my friends, parents being diagnosed with early onset. Um, I did have an aunt that passed away from Alzheimer's many years ago. So definitely t- touch, but, you know, James just actually triggered a a thought in hindsight. Um, I'm going to date myself, but way back when we were called nurses aides, not CNAs, nurses aides, and you learn from shadowing. Um, In hindsight, recognizing some of the people uh, that that I cared for probably had Parkinson's. I can, you know, in my mind, I can envision a couple of people with their um, shaking and so forth and just different things. So you kind of go back in time as well, but yeah, t- touched different channels for sure. Yeah. Well, and it is interesting how the terminology has changed, how the conversation has opened up. I remember mm-hmm. my, my great aunt being in a nursing home and, and I was like 13 and, you know, they just called her senile, you know, that's what, that's what happens. And I never, I'll never forget when she didn't remember my name and that touched the core of me. And I was so, I was so sad. I thought, what did I do wrong? Why is she remembering my brother? My brother could care less about her. Mm -hmm. He never comes and sees her. And he just happened to be there that day. You know, my mom dragged him along and I was so crushed, you know, by that. And, but there was nothing to give me as a child. And, um, you know, and then my mom, you know, living with dementia for 30 years. So it's, um, it's been quite the process for sure. And, and so many are going through this or questioning, am I mm-hmm. going through this? Is this the beginning stage? So I think it's important to have these kinds of conversations with people um, just to open it up. James, I want to go to you. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about Bella Groves, you know, um, explain how it's a different business model than you know what people are typically going to find out there when they're looking for memory care or memory resources. Thanks, Lori. Uh, 
Bella Groves is a um, education company around dementia, and we happen to have a care facility where we are um, presenting that information kind of as a first phase. But uh, it, a simpler way of saying what Bella Groves is as a company is to tell you what we're trying to solve. Um, the industry I come from, senior living, typically solves the problem, where does an older person live in their later years when they need help or socialization, et cetera. Um, for families going through the caregiving journey through dementia, uh, senior living only solves a small percentage of that timeline. Uh, the last 10 to 15% of somebody's journey with dementia may be in an assisted living or memory care facility. But the first 80, 90% in some cases of that caregiving journey is on their own. And um, and I realized when I was an executive director of an assisted living community, uh, I was meeting with several families in a row and, I, and it dawned on me, I finally figured out what all of these families have in common. And that one thing was how much better off they would have been if they knew a little bit more earlier in that process. And so Bella Grows simply is trying to help people navigate from the beginning of that caregiving responsibility all the way through the end. And we provide that in three kind of distinct categories. Uh, the first level is a dementia education platform. So it's an online learning platform where we provide training and tips and content around here's how you can think about dementia, be a better caregiver and better prepare for what journey lies ahead. That's the first stage. The second is what we call a dementia navigator service, where we help families to coordinate and take all the guesswork out of caring for their loved one. So Lori, I'm sure in your 30 years helping your mom, there were lots of it you were just figuring out on your own. Without, oh yeah, pulling yeah. out the hair. <laughs> without any resources. And uh, and all of that journey led you to Alzheimer's Speaks and Dementia Map and all the things that you've done. Um, so that's our version of that here locally for families in San Antonio. And then the final stage of support is our dementia care facility, uh, Bella Groves in Bulverde. So in a nutshell, to summarize all that up, we want to help families to navigate the entire journey of caregiving for their loved one living with dementia. Well, it's an interesting concept because, you know, I see most care facilities or communities, whatever you want to call them, do that totally in reverse. Mm. You know, we're, we're going to take the person and then, you know, maybe we'll help you navigate. And we'll throw in a little education to boot mm -hmm. uh, to support. And I really do think, especially nowadays, especially after COVID, more and more families want to stay home. And that's mm -hmm. always been a promise that's been made. And the guilt that families feel when they do make that move is significant. So having that education and, you know, that, that time to understand and absorb what the disease entails and really looking at how it affects you as an individual as well. And that self-care and what are the best decisions for all of us wrapped yeah. in that are really important. So kudos. Yeah. Thank you. I, um, you know, some, something you just said there, Lori, that I hear all the time about families who are feeling guilty about, I made a promise to my mom or I made a promise to my husband or my, my wife that I would never put them in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. um, those words I hear over and over and over again, but you know, it, it, it just dawned on me when you said that, you know, would you ever uh, make a promise or make your kids promise you, Hey kids, if I ever have cancer, promise me, you'll never take me to the hospital. 
you wouldn't think to say that because you have an understanding of what cancer is. You can't, you can't go through that ailment alone. So you would never ask somebody to make that promise. And I think the, the falsehood around dementia today is people think it's something that you can just kind of power through or muscle through, or it's just part of aging. And we just have to love each other strongly enough that we, we can do this at home. But making that promise of never putting you in a nursing home doesn't account for the fact that dementia is not a normal part of aging. And it it is um, as much of a disease process, um, like Alzheimer's disease is as much of a, a, a challenging process as cancer. So why would you make somebody promise you, I'm never going to get help for you if you get this disease? Yeah, except yeah. we don't have a cure. Except <laughs> with we don't a lot of cancers. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a good treatment plan and, you know, extended life where, you mm-hmm. know, people can come back. Um, that's a, that's an excellent, excellent point. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you too, was in, in talking with families a lot, mm-hmm. they must, you must kind of have a list together of what are kind of the hot topics that, you know, people really, really want to know about. Absolutely. So um, most of the interactions I have with families are still geared towards that um, residential care facility setting. So I'll kind of focus on that. Um, And when people come into that, mostly because they don't know what else to ask for, um, they say things like, I want to make sure my mom is, you know, well cared for and is safe. And, you know, they tend to focus just around those needs. Um, what they don't realize that they can ask for is I want my mom to feel happiness and joy. I want my family and I to feel peace of mind. I I want all of us in this process to feel connection, reconciliation. These are the things they should be asking for because that's actually what we provide, I think, is is a platform for that. Um, But families oftentimes, because they don't know about enough about this um, process, or what to expect from care facilities, they ask for the bare minimum, which is care and safety. Mm-hmm. And that isn't, that looks different to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but so does, and I think part of it is we don't give permission to talk about feelings openly mm-hmm. in this country. You know, I mean, we're, we're much more open than some countries, but in a lot of ways, it's not, it isn't discussed. Mm-hmm. And, and that is important. And people don't understand that you know, if, if I want your mom or dad or husband or wife to be happy, then I need to do things in a certain way to make them peaceful. And then when you're, when they're peaceful, it allows, it builds trust for the family and it allows them to be peaceful. So it takes this whole agitation, you know, peace Mm -hmm. out, and it just gives a much clearer understanding. So I think that would be a great, uh, a great way for all communities to approach when they're asking families, how do you want them to feel when they're here? I mean, approach the question from that stance and then answer, because really it is about that emotional peace, peace of mind and peace of heart. Mm -hmm. It's going to make it a good match or not. And by those answers from that person, um, you're, you're going to know if it's a good match, if they really understand how, how to make your person happy. And they're in that doing, they're also going to educate the family of, you know, this is the way we approach it and why, because it does bring peace. It does bring comfort. Mm-hmm. It does bring laughter, um, which so often are left out, especially if families have gotten kind of to their wits end where 
they've lost that, you know, they are just mm -hmm. tackling those tasks and everyone's at their wits end. I think that's a really good point, Lori. If, you know, if I were to ask somebody whose parent wasn't living with dementia and I asked them, what are your goals for your parent? Their responses should be the same as our families. The, they should be saying the same things. And the fact that dementia takes over every aspect of a person's life right now as you know without the education and resources that people should have their only context is bare minimum care safety food showers etc um, but they should be answering the same as somebody who didn't have dementia i want my mom to feel fulfilled i want her to feel um you know joyful and connected and those those are all things that are still possible you just need the right care care team around you who has that same uh, goal in mind. Well, it's it's interesting, and I think it was you that I was talking to the other day um, that said, you know, if I went to go place my child in mm -hmm. childcare, I would I would be asking different questions. My expectations would be much grander mm -hmm. than what they are when I place an elder in a community. Right? Was that was that you that? Yeah, we talked a little bit about how you know when we look. At childcare, the the administrators and teachers of that childcare facility, their clients are the family members. They're the parents. They're assisting the parents in their goals of parenthood. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, in senior living, we often talk about the senior person as our client, but they are really the the person for whom we are acting on behalf of them. So, families are really our partners in that journey. And so, I think when we when we frame everything around that context, we understand that we're not displacing family, we're supporting family as a as a team. Yeah, I think that's a, a really, really good point. And mm -hmm. I've, I've always felt that way. Um, and I and I've, I've seen it work, and I've seen it not work very well, as yeah. well. And it's really difficult when it doesn't work when you don't feel part of the team or, or included, or we don't do that. You, you know, you go over mm -hmm. there, you know, where, where do I go over there? You know, <laughs> tell me, tell me where that is. I mean, that yeah. was personally part of some of my frustration because there was nowhere that I knew to go. Mm -hmm. And so for you to have this um, hyper-focus locally, you know, where you're at, I think is really, um, truly amazing and something I would love to see expand. Um, Deanne, I want to pull you into the conversation. You've been shaking your head down there, <laughs> but my guess is you've got a couple of thoughts on, on what we've talked about so far. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts regarding James philosophy? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny as he was saying, a couple of things, because, um, I think when we first started talking, we talked about how, everybody plays a part in the in the care and the happiness and the journey and um, it's interesting when when he brings up and, and you were just talking about the daycare issue because I'm so in the trenches every single day eat sleep and breathe incontinence incontinence I um, I tie I tie as he's saying that I'm saying it's you know we, we have this analogy all day long about someone who has a um, if you had a child and they had a, a, a diaper rash, right? You would you would never say to your spouse going out the door for your little one, you know, get the cheapest product out there, you know, and oh, I'll be with you in two months. We'll fix it then. We'll look at it, type of thing. So these types of things come to my mind immediately of how we um how we approach things. Um, 
as everybody contributes to the to the care uh, of people on their journey. The other thing that um, came to mind immediately, I was in a, when we talk about engagement and happiness and connectivity, I think I may have short, shared this story with you, Lori, but it still sticks with me every day. I was in a community, it was a memory care community, I lose track of time, it might've been six months ago. And I was with one of my teammates and we were doing a product training and it was a memory care and it was early in the morning and the, the nice executive director let us in and she said, you know, hang tight. Some of the, the aides are going to come by and we'll do the training right here. And there was a woman coming down the hall walking and she was a resident. As she got closer, we could tell she was holding um, a, a blanket and so on. You could tell she was a resident, but we had brought in donuts mm-hmm. and uh, and she came over to us and she was trying to talk with us. We couldn't really make out what she was saying, but it gets a little bit uncomfortable when you're an outsider coming in of, I know she wants a donut. It's not our place to, to give her. We don't know different things. So we, we held tight and talked with her as best that we could. And a caregiver came around the corner and we said, we know she wants a donut. And the caregiver took her hand and she opened the box and it was a glazed donut. And I'll never forget, they had a nice little area and she held the hand of that resident and they sat down and she split the donut in half. She had a half, the resident had a half. And it was one of, for me, it was one of these most touching moments because we we read a lot, anybody in this industry, all types of what engagement looks like, what safety looks like, what care looks like. We have a million different ways to define it. But it made me think when I left that meeting that that resident was smiling, that caregiver was smiling. It was the simplest form of engagement that was so touching on so many different levels. And I remember driving off thinking to myself, if that was my mom or dad with neurocognitive decline, I don't know the answer, but would that be an, I would want to hear about it. So do we share that little piece that could be a little piece to someone, but it would be a big piece to others. Like that would be questions that I'd be thinking about. And then is that a, is that enough for me as an adult child? Would that make my whole day or are there continuous little pieces that make up? So it's it's complex, I guess. My my mind goes right to complexities from so many different angles. But um, as you're yeah, back and forth sharing, those were a couple of immediate thoughts that that came to mind. Well, I love that story. Um, and I think as a family member, and this is one of the things I go out and even teach is, you know, we have to have families trust us. And what's one of the best ways to do it? It's by sharing moments of joy. Not, hello, we screwed up the meds, somebody fell, their purse is missing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, those are the calls we usually get. And it's like the phone rings and it's like the bat phone and your your heart starts just palpitating going, oh my gosh, what's wrong now? I mean, that's what most families will say. And, but we can switch that whole scenario if we start sharing moments of joy um, and don't do it on a planned time, but, but do it authentically when it happens, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, even take a, and I know a lot of communities, you know, got to the point where they didn't want staff having phones because it was, they were being misused, but to be able to do a little Facebook or take a picture of the two of them and send it through an email or do a Facebook time and go, Hey, we're just sitting here sharing a donut. You know, those are things that make a family's heart melt. And I can speak from experience on that because it, it, it calmed my whole day down 
and because you're always thinking about your person, even if it's not consciously, it's in the back of your mind. And it's just like, they get my person, you know, they Mm -hmm. love my person or, you know, that moment of, you know, when my mom was uh, in community, um, she didn't realize people were staff, they were her friends, you know, so that simple moment sitting, you know, sitting there sharing a donut was a moment with a friend. You know, it's just viewed differently from both sides. And I think that's when those true magic moments really, really happen. Um, James, do you have any comments on, on Deanna's story? Um, I, I think those are the stories that our um, colleagues, our professionals in this in this field really should be talking about. Uh, they're, they're the things that we should be um, telling families about uh, our, our industry of senior living. When I say our industry, I mean the one that I look, you know, through my lens. Um, senior living often talks about needing to tell a quote-unquote better and different story. And what what they typically mean by that is we need to sell our building better than they sell their building. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is such a wrong approach. It creates distance between us and the people that we're meaning to serve. But if the content marketing and the, the social media and the, just traditional marketing even, if those things, um, if we just took a small fraction of the stories, the heartwarming stories that we actually see every single day, and we and we were able to show families here's what's ahead for you. Not, not just, you know, care responsibilities and dementia symptoms, not that that's going to be there regardless. But, but as we join this partnership together, here's what joy looks like. Here's what uh, organic, you know, uh, social connections looks like. So I love Deanna's story because those are the stories that we live for every day. Um, And I, and I think the difference with Bella Groves is that we're not just uh, incidentally, hoping we see stories like that. Um, I think, Laura, you and I talked about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness can exist kind of at a, you know, just uh, in a general state, I can be happy. But joy is intentional, and it is brief. You know, you have you have to create those moments of joy or be prepared for the conditions of joy. And I think that is our um, responsibility. Uh, as as professionals in this in this field is to move away just from clinical terminology and doom and gloom and more towards here's the good stuff ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. For myself, you know, I developed a tool called your memory chip because mm-hmm. I and I always had my little to-do list, which I think most families do. And and I think with with many companies, people have gotten so um Oh, micromanaged, I guess is the best word. And so everyone's focused on tasks, just like where you were saying is we want to sell more than them. We want to have Mm -hmm. more beds filled than them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that is really backwards. And so for me, you know, I ended up creating this tool that focuses on, is my mom safe? Is she happy? Is she pain-free? And when I focus on those basic needs, you know, just take it all down, uh, to the bottom of, of Maslow's theory, then I did my task differently. And, and it also got the job done for her, but it gave me great comfort and contentment in doing that. And that was, I mean, that was just a huge, huge gift, I think, to both of us. Um, but again, it's focusing on being 
relationship based. And I know people still use the term person centered care. And when I hear that, I just think of quality control and surveys, hmm. that that's the term they use. But, but most families don't even know what that really means. They just, you know, think it means, well, you're taking care of my person. But when you say relationship based, um, to me, they know what a relationship is, you know, and, and I think there's a better understanding of what that care can look like. Um, but yeah. that's just my, my personal thought there. Yeah. It, you know, terms like person-centered care, the, the thing about um, great phrases like that is that they're, they're wonderful in the beginning until everybody starts using it and then it dilutes the, the meaning of it. And so person-centered care, when I first heard about it, um, it, as I was kind of growing through this industry, I thought, oh, what a beautiful way to describe, you know, uh, providing care for someone based on their personhood, the, the individual at the center of that care need. And then the more that everybody started using that phrase, the less it was what it was intended to be. And so now everybody's looking for the new phrase that's going to orient people around this concept. But um, yeah, I think, I, I think instead of continuously trying to find new ways to freshen up, you know, words and phrases, we all just need to get to the basic of what was intended by person-centered care and are there organizations out there actually doing it? And the ones who are need to tell their story of how they're doing it. Yep. Well, and I think the only way you can do that is to really be inclusive of your staff. And a lot of mm -hmm. times the, the direct care staff who are, you know, developing these stories, creating these stories aren't heard from. You know, it's, it's upper right. management. And I, and I think that that is a huge misstep because families see that, wow, you know, the, the activities person or life enrichment person, I mean, they are key to that whole joy piece mm -hmm. and yet they're not heard from, or, and you see as a family member, a lot of times I hate to say it, and this is in all communities, but they're not always well-respected, you know, of what they, what they're delivering. Um, and, and, and I think that they, I think they're just kind of a turnkey piece in, because mm -hmm. they're the ones that are most engaged with, with the people. They really know, you know, who they are, what they like, you know, what their habits are much more so than a lot of the management team, because the management team is reviewing reports and they're clicking off medical needs or whatever it might be. Um, and co please correct me if I'm wrong on that, but as a, as a individual who, you know, has been through this process with many, um, not just mm -hmm. my family members, those are things I hear over and over again. Yeah. I, um, I, I think our industry does a, a, a really good job at taking people's passions and um and over complicating how they deliver you know their gift to others i think about um if you loved driving cars like that was your thing i love driving cars and then you take that person you put them inside of this vehicle and then in the back seat you've got people yelling directions at them all day you know turn left slow down turn right go faster you know you would take all of the joy out of driving cuz you're in the back seat yelling directions the whole time and I think that activities directors, nurses, even executive directors, um, so many people join this profession because they quote unquote love driving. They want to make those decisions. They want to they want to feel the uh, the joy of doing the thing that they love. 
And our industry is just full of backseat drivers. And that's part of why Bella grows. We've we've set out from the very start, we're not going to be a big company. And we're only going to focus on our neighbors here in San Antonio, eventually Central Texas. But yeah, this mission could serve a lot more people than that. But I think when we keep our focus small and here, um, I... I think that's how we move forward as an industry is that we actually think smaller, not bigger, smaller being local. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, do you have any stories that you want to share from from Bella Groves on um, how how bringing joy to your residents really you know has aligned, um, <laughs> you know, with with both the resident, the family, and the staff as well? I mean, that's a full circle loop you know, when you're creating joy. It really is. There's, there's so much we could, um, you know, share here. The, the, the one that kind of comes to mind, cause we're kind of in 2.0 version of the story right now, um, is that there's a, one of our first residents, actually the very first resident to move in with us. Uh, we were all sitting around one day talking about our pets and, uh, he was talking about, um, how many dogs he had had his whole life. And uh, so I asked him, hey, uh, I'm going to use a fake name. I'll say, hey, John, uh, you know, which one was your favorite dog? And he got quiet for a second and he said, my most recent one, my last dog, that was my favorite. And he started getting getting tearful and as he was recalling that story. And uh, we realized that at the end of that, we we need to go get a community dog. We hadn't talked about it and we thought, why not? Let's let's go for it. So uh, John and I uh, and, and a few of our team members, we all prepared for the community pet together. So mind you, this is somebody living with dementia. Um, and, and there's this falsehood around dementia that you can't create new memories. But in fact, John remembered day to day. He said, hey, you know, when we go find our dog, do you think we should get a, a, a crate now? Or should we wait to see how big the dog is going to be? And then the next day he would write a supply list and he'd say, okay, we need to get this, this, and this. And so when you're infusing joy around an experience, you sure can um, uh, really challenge some of the assumptions around dementia and capabilities around um, dementia. So he, he progressively got more and more excited about it. And on the day we went and we, um, and he led the way he kind of went from pen to pen and he's like, oh, let's, let's play with this one. And, um, and there they found each other, you know, John and this dog named Mabel. And we all realized, okay, this is the dog that we're going to adopt. And so uh, we brought the dog home and Mabel followed him around. I mean, she knew this is my rescuer. This is my person. This is my human. And so she followed him around uh, everywhere. And unfortunately, uh, Mabel was an older dog. So she didn't, she didn't live very long, uh, less than a year, but for the time that she was there, um, this resident felt profound joy in in not just the experience of of bringing that dog home, um, but the other part of the story that I love is that when when it came time to put Mabel down and uh, you know end her suffering when things got tough for her, we brought the resident with us. So we didn't spare John uh, the the um, the heartache or the grieving process. In fact, he was he was very much um, alive because he was in that moment and he got to go and he got to say goodbye to Mabel. He was comforting me. He was patting my back saying, oh, I hope you're going to be okay. Um, and so it was a full, 
you know, circle of life kind of story here um, in less than a year. But I think those are the stories that come out of our community because we understand that it's not about, um, you know, protect like bubble wrapping somebody and protecting them from all of the human emotions. In that in that instance, we honored him and and think about how difficult it would have been for him for us to just cart the dog off and come back without Mabel. Um, how much of a disservice that would have been to the resident, but he he was very much a part of that entire experience. And I love that we get to do stuff like that. Well, that's a beautiful story. And I think, you know, by creating that joy, what people don't understand is you're creating that engagement. You're allowing them to feel heard Mm -hmm. um, and part of the family and purposeful. And by allowing him to, to go, like you said, full circle, he had closure. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have had closure otherwise, you know, he got to be part of that. Um, that, that's huge. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a, a great, uh, great visual when you talk about bubble wrapping them, you know, and, and people with dementia talk all the time about the, the risk of living. It's there, absolutely. you know, it's there. Don't take all my risk away because <laughs> then I'm not going to feel like it's worth being here. You it, know, it's true. It's, it's one of the indignities uh, around dementia that there's a lot of people who intend to do good uh, in providing support for somebody with dementia, but because we as a profession don't ask those people directly how they you know want to live and what they need from us, we, we, we bubble wrap them. Um, there were so many communities where I couldn't even put a, a normal knife on the dinner table because of some irrational fear that people living with dementia are going to hurt other people with it. But if you're serving somebody chicken or steak, give them the utensils to cut it for themselves, right? Mm. So I think um, I think giving people back risk um, in in uh, a lot of ways is part of part of the work that we all need to be striving toward. Yeah, and and giving them dignity, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, otherwise, it's they know when they're being dealt with like a child. Of course, and they hate that, and they talk about that, you know. Yeah. Um, they, they let us know, even if they can't use words, there's other ways it's going to come out. And then we're going to be wondering, well, why are they acting like that? Well, how would you feel, you know? (laughs) know? So I'm wondering if you can give us, um, maybe four key things of, of, uh, and just briefly, just kind of summary of what good care looks like to you in a memory care. Mm. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get to four, because honestly, I think it can be whittled down to even less than that. Um, One thing is that everything that we do is a reverse engineered process from good outcomes. Mm -hmm. So uh, it almost sounds too easy to, to give this answer, but what a good memory care looks like is that you are working towards specific and intended outcomes, and you work backwards from there. Um, so one quick example of that is we have zero residents at Bella Groves who have lost weight um, mm-hmm. since moving in, which is an amazing thing in a, in a dementia care setting. So all of our residents have either maintained or gained weight, which is the outcome that we want. So mm-hmm. if you work your way backwards from there, I, as a backseat driver or recovering backseat driver in our industry, um, I thought, oh, you have to have X, Y, Z, this menu, X, uh, et cetera. But what ended up happening and having the right outcome was that we have one meal. Um, we have one choice. It's a family style meal. 
And so everybody eats the same thing. There's not complexities around choices and things like that. Um, and I didn't know that that was going to be the way we got to the outcome. But when you have the right outcome, people are eating, they're engaged, they're you know maintaining their weight. If it works, it works. And so for me, one good component of good care is um, let's step out of our own kind of intellectual ego and let's just start with the outcome that we want and work our way backwards mm -hmm. from there. So that's number one. Um, number two is shared approach, shared methodology. So oftentimes family members have no idea what approach you're taking as a care provider. Um, they get a once a month or once a quarter report about here's the care plan, but they're not oftentimes given the skills and the context uh, to provide care in a consistent way as you know, um, as we do in, in Bella Groves. So we provide education. Uh, when we have family nights, uh, we actually go through lessons and teach new skills. So everybody has a commitment towards we are doing this together and in a similar fashion. So I think um, that's number two. And then for, uh, I will give a number three here. Um, most dementia care communities are filled with people who want to do a good job but they are not given the framework or organizational structure to get that done. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as a former caregiver, um, that was my first job in this industry. I was a caregiver 15 years ago. I knew what it was like to work short. I knew what it was like to work overnights and never see a manager. Um, and, and the list goes on about what we as an industry uh, confine our caregivers with, with these limitations. Um, so when we think like a caregiver, um, and give them the means and the resources to do their job well, part of that means proper staffing ratios. We have a one to four staffing ratio at our community that I, I can't even find one close to that um, in, in our market uh, or anywhere probably. And so when you provide the right staffing ratio, then the caregivers go from task masters to actually being there for residents. So they have downtime, and most caregivers, if they were listening to this, they'd be like, "What? what's downtime? <laughs> yep. um, but we have planned downtime. They do activities. They go for walks with residents. They can just stop what they're doing. And they've got cushion of time to just be in the moment with somebody, even if that moment is just listening to a story. So um, we're sharing a donut, right, Deanna? Um, so when you when you give caregivers the tools and the organizational structure to do what they want to do, there's some amazing things that happen. So I'd say those three would probably be my criteria for what makes a good care community. I love that because it's very different from what you hear, you know, uh, from, from most out there in, in pretty much all different types of care regarding healthcare. It's not outcome oriented. And, you know, working that reverse plan only makes sense, mm -hmm. you know, and I see so many um, various businesses doing the same thing they've always done, and then wondering why it's not working or not even noticing that it's not working. You know, it's just, we've checked the list off. So it's done, but is it done with any kind of quality? Is it done with any type of dignity? You know, and I would imagine too, you know, your approach reduces staff turnover because you're mm -hmm. giving them not only the responsibility, but you're giving them the creativity to be themselves and to kind of work within a situation. And I think 
one of the worst things that I see nowadays, and it's just pretty much in anybody I know who has a job is they're not given the responsibility and the creativity hmm. to be dealt with like they're an adult making, making proper decisions. And that, you know, that rips apart your team. Yeah. Our, that I would be shocked if you found any professional caregiver anywhere in the world who would say, I, I got into senior care because I want to get lots of tasks done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope I can work somewhere where I can do 30 tasks in a row and knock them all off before I go home. Nobody's saying that. Um, everybody, whether they articulate it in the interview or not, uh, the only real reason that any anybody wants to work in this industry is because they feel like they're going to make a difference in somebody's life. That's mm-hmm. it, right? And and we as an industry have overcomplicated that. And if we stopped seeing caregivers as labor and we saw them more as natural resources, right? They they are the human capital. They're the natural resources. And all we have to do is try to figure out a way that these natural resources can get to the people that want them. We as a business are just a platform for getting the coffee beans into the coffee mug, right? So caregivers want to give care. And so we have to remove complexity and and help them do that. And one of the ways we do that is our extensive dementia training. So our caregivers report at the end of their 13 weeks of training, wow, I've been doing this for a long time before Bella grows, but this training helped me unlock just new skills that I didn't realize I needed. And now I'm much more successful with managing uh, behavioral you know, uh, symptoms. I'm much more successful with successful showers and the care tasks that help somebody feel dignified. Uh, it, it didn't occur to me until we were executing this through Bella Groves. Caregivers um, want to be more successful in giving care. And that's all we have to be as Bella Groves is just try to make that happen. Yeah, they've, they've lost, I think. Uh, and again, I think this goes across the board for, for most industries. They've lost the whole point of mentoring people to be them, mm-hmm. be their best. Right. And there's, and I see this all the time and I hear this all the time too, about why are they keeping this person? They're destroying the team. You know, you get that one toxic person but they stay because nobody wants to get sued. You know, they're, they're, they're more worried about getting sued than they are. And it just destroys so many, so, so many teams out there mm-hmm. and then they lose their good people. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you too, um, James was, what are some of the things that you see communities doing, doing well in the industry? You know, I've, I've, and I, I probably focus more on some of the negative <laughs> than, the, than the rest of you. Um, but what are some of the things that you're seeing that are, are, are good that they're doing out there? Yeah. Um, w- one of the things that I think our industry is getting much better at is storytelling. We, we talked about that earlier in the show. Um, the effect of good storytelling is that it's, sh- um, it, shows other people in this industry um, what good looks like. And so even though this is it, this may feel peripheral or kind of on the edge, but uh, when we share videos, when we share stories, um, all of the things that I know that the that the forefront uh, intention is maybe sales and marketing, but the but the byproduct of all of that effort is that we're sharing good stories with one another. And I think that's incredible. I, I benefit from that when I uh, see stories come out of other communities. 
So I think that's really good. Um, the other thing that I think our industry is uh, doing well, but almost begrudgingly, um, Lori, is that I think uh, we are starting to understand that this population of people who work in this industry want and demand flexibility. You know, in addition to good working environments, they they um, with the rise of kind of care agencies and um, you know organizations that allow for kind of this gig economy around uh, senior care. Um, we as an industry are a little bit slow to embrace this, but I think a lot of us are starting to embrace it more that instead of just focused on 100% retention of full-time staff, you need to create a system where your business is very good at bringing in just you know anybody who wants to be there with you and giving them the simplified means to be effective in their job. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we're doing a better job of that. Um, and then the... Uh, the, the other thing I think we are starting to do well is uh, things like partnerships, like, you know, Deanna's on this uh, show here with us. And in a lot of ways, the um, the partnerships I know from the vendor side of senior living can feel very frustrating because there are not as many communities that are progressive or innovative or, you know, wanting to think about, oh, this makes sense to to think about, you know, these these partnerships. Um, but I do think that there are smaller organizations like Bella Groves that are going to push these type of partnerships and innovations. And so I'm excited to see that. And the big guys better pay attention because the small players on the field um, are going to be the ones to really advance these changes. And I'm I'm all for it. And I would encourage anybody who feels like their small business size is is a hindrance to really think of it as an advantage. And, and you can really try and experiment with things that others are not willing to. And that's where we're going to make a big difference. Well, and I think when you do that, you know, it's kind of like a, a in some ways, a grassroots effort. Totally. Because you're, you're, you're outside the bureaucracy. You can make those maneuvers and you can try something. If it doesn't work, you can maneuver back another, you know, I mean, you, you can play that game a little bit more where I think sometimes with, uh, with larger companies, and again, uh, this isn't uh, an overall, but with the majority, it's more black and white. You know, there's got to be these control lines set up or they feel that they have to be, that there has to be these control lines instead of saying within this community, kind of like within a city, you manage your city, you meet the needs of your, your community, because, mm-hmm. you know, what's, what's in Minnesota and what's over, you know, in, in another state or another county could be a whole different population. Right. Uh, needs that are being met. And, um, you know, speaking of collaboration, I wanted to, um, and, and Deanna, I'm going to throw this to you. Um, how did, how did you two meet you and James meet, um, to begin with? Um, I, I always find that really interesting to know. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think the first time we met true story and I, I'm, and, and I looked actually to see when was this meeting? And I was kind of shocked that it was sooner than I had thought. I would have said <laughs> years ago. Um, but um, he had actually posted, I had been following LinkedIn, trying to learn the industry from all, all channels. And, um, and, I, and I liked his post. So um, anyway, but he had put a post up that he was attending a conference in Orlando. And I live in the Orlando area. And he said, I'd love to connect with people in Orlando. So I thought, okay, I'm going to toss my name mm-hmm. out really well. 
And so I did and uh, shot him an email and said, do you want to um, connect in the lobby of this, this hotel on one of the conference days? And, um, and he did. And, and so right out of the gate, I thought that's different. I've got a, you know, a, a CEO of a community that, that puts something out there. Will you meet, uh, you know, anybody in the area that wants to meet, will you meet? Okay. I'm going to put that. We met. And um, I tell you, um, he asked me right out of the gate, what do you know about Bella Groves? Mm-hmm. And um, I knew about his subscription model, which was really um education model, I should say, which was really appealing to me because it was different. Um, And so we had an an early, you know, conversation, just very casual um, in getting to know someone. I'm all about relationships and partnerships and all that good stuff, but I'm really about baby steps. I'd rather go get to really know someone and go deeper versus wide type of thing. It was just kind of a nice, um, conversation about what we're doing at Seni, what he was doing at, at Bella Groves. Um, and one of the things that uh, that I learned about him was that I had read before that he likes to cook. And I automatically, I, hmm. I always try to look for common ground and bring value somehow because I just believe in senior care, in healthcare, we all should be resources and, and every day be thinking, how can I help? How can I help? It doesn't have to be a direct correlation of what we do and a give to a get. It's, it, it's got to be valuable. So anyway, he kind of took my mind back to going way back in time again. at a, um, they were called, It was called a retirement home at the time, my first job. And we made this awesome Pepperidge Farm toast that I tell you, my friends he brought up earlier and, and Lauren, you brought it up too, that I think Staffing ratios, you know, back in the day before corporately from a business sector, healthcare, everything got so lean and so tight and and you have a role and that's the role that you do. But way back in the day, people really did talk around the bubbler. We called it up north. It's a water cooler, you know, in the southern part of the States. But um, but what you did talk and you and you came to work not only to have your role of what you did, if it was caring for people, it was providing care. But um, I tell you, I, I went to work quite often as a younger person, because if, if James was working, uh, oh, James is on the shift. Good. I know we have fun. We have, oh, Lori's on the shift. I know we have fun. That to me seems like, unfortunately, that has gone by the wayside when we gotten more lean as a, as a country. And I say this on the corporate side, on the healthcare, and now I'm seeing it in senior living. And I think um, people, as much as the residents, we want this uh, feel good and joy and happiness. And that's the primary focus. Absolutely. But we've got to feel good about what we do as a whole, right? And we've got to feel good about the care that we're getting. And so I think when there's collaboration internally, and then there's collaboration externally, it's all, it's all connected for, um, for better outcomes and, and improved quality of life for everybody, you know, understanding that, that in senior living, the residents of first. So I met him at a conference and then um, he actually, I think we just went back and forth a little bit here and there. And then he um, intrigued me again, uh, an email went out or a post on LinkedIn that said, hey, who's interested in doing this think tank? event and it piqued my interest for two reasons number one you would leave there with a deliverable whether it's a a podcast an ebook or something i like that i go to a lot of conferences and and there are great conferences out there and then there are conferences where um 
yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? With everything. But what I liked is, is that conference right out of the gate said, here's a deliverable. And I also had a teammate that was starting in Texas. And I thought, oh, what better way <laughs> um, to spend some time with my teammate to get right in the trenches with other senior living professionals. And what was so special about that conference, it was both um, vendor, providers, partners, solution, whatever we want to call the names. And uh, and then it was uh, community providers as well, in addition to James having some of his teammates there. So it was, I never felt like there was a line in the sand. And that's what was so wonderful about it. It was people working together, not saying that, oh, we need all this help in this industry. It's terrible. It wasn't that. It was Here's where we're at. What can we do better? Because we can always do better. So what can we look at and, and escalate even more? And so we broke into groups and we spent two days. And uh, and I've got some great um, additional relationships that have come out of that where we may never do business together. And, and that's secondary, that, that relationship with a couple of other folks. is It's deep. It's tight. It's, it's resourceful. It makes... Um, myself a better resource in the industry, which hopefully helps my teammates or always helping. It just goes round robin. So long story short, some conferences, we would just um, cross paths at the recent Texas Assisted Living Association, which I'll sing their praises as well, because I am seeing with conferences a little bit, um, the line in the sand between vendor and community is, is going away a little bit. And I think that has to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, where people have to walk in the other shoes that um, not everybody who's offering something uh, to a community is, is, is out there for the quick sale or buy from me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we care much as the providers care and the caregivers care um, like anyone else. So um, yeah, so we're, um, I, I think we've built a nice um, relationship along the way. Well, you know, you brought up a really interesting point um, because you said not everyone's out there to sell. And I think I, I definitely think that's true. But I also think the industry put up walls to stop those relationships. And so then in order to touch base, it got down to the power cell because you knew you were never going to be able to have that relationship anymore with people. You know, people used to drop in and all of a sudden, you know, hospitals and clinics and stuff are saying, no, you can't come. You can't mm -hmm. come. And it's like, well, you still need my product. So how am I going to do that? Mm -hmm. And you see that in a lot of different variables. And yet those relationships kind of gets back to James in terms of giving people time to breathe. It gave people time to breathe and, and maybe have, have a laugh, have a cup of coffee and, and they're missing that they're regenerating to going back to doing their work and stuff. And so um, I, I think a lot of that has happened too in the industry. And again, it's about being able to trust people. And granted, you're always gonna have those ones that cross the line you know, with that stuff, but then, then deal with those people. You know, don't penalize the, the, whole, the whole lot with that. Um, I know we need to get wrapping up here pretty quick. So, but I wanna, I wanna ask you, Deanna, about incontinence products and, you know, are there some that are better for people living with, with cognitive decline than others? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, yeah, uh, we, we hear from, um, people in memory care that people with dementia tend to fare better, um, if they're wearing a pull-up 
that's more mm -hmm. like their, um, like their own underwear. Um, I think comfortability comes into play. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, not only just soft materials, that's a big part of it, but being in the right absorbency level. You could have someone who um, maybe has assistance with toileting during the day, and they may need something for moderate incontinence, right? And maybe a heavier product, an overnight product at night. Um, so during the day, they might need something that's a little bit less bulky than what they would at night. So it, it really is important when it comes to incontinence products for people to look at, is it fully breathable? Is it super absorbent? Is it have inner leak guards? What's the size? What's the style? Um, I know with high quality products um, like ours, you know, three to four changes in a 24 hour period mm -hmm. is that's needed. And we've heard from um, some communities that we work with, you could have a resident that might have some um, challenges with um, not wanting assistance with being changed. And so that becomes very stressful for the resident. And then in turn, it could be stressful for the caregiver and you could have a, a family member um, as well. So again, this connectivity, it relates to everybody. So if we can cut down on the number of changes when, when you use a high quality product, you can do that. And that resident can, or that user can still remain um, healthy, you know, uh, with full breathability from a skin breakdown or um, different things. So definitely there are different products where um, people will fare better um, with different styles and absorbencies and, and fits. Um, the best thing we can do is always try to improve continence mm -hmm. first take from some level and go, you know, go with, with uh, increasing the, uh, the continence level first. And then for that demographic that, that they do need a product, I think the key is just, you know, working with someone that, that understands incontinence mm -hmm. and, um, and, and samples, you know, our company gives out samples. That's huge. We don't want people trying buying and, and then it doesn't fit right, or it's not the right absorbency and they're buying again and trying, and then they're frustrated and it just doesn't work. So we try to um, make it as easy as we can to um, get people in the right fit and be able to live a um, live a more dignified and and happy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Well, and I love you know I love that you guys are so educational based because you you bring up some great points and again it gets back to James's start with the outcome and work in reverse you know and it, it's it's not something that you hear from most incontinence companies you know they're trying to you know, it kind of reminds me of when I was in real estate, the builders always wanted big and flashy and, you know, life is good. And so even on commercials, they're not talking the nitty gritty stuff. Like that makes so much sense to have one for day and one, one for evening, you know, that they're going to meet a different purpose. And if families knew that, you know, they would go that route or if communities knew that, but instead it's just like, I, I need a brief, you know, and you're just, you're back to that task, you know, plugging a hole and getting it done instead of being really efficient or smart and allowing that person, you know, to be comfortable and not agitated. We wonder where all these moods come from, you know, and I, I think of, you know, my daughter uh, has a new baby and, and boy, you know, when Sailor you know, is wet, she, she lets, you know, get me out of here. You know, I want to, I want to clean, I want to clean diaper on. And, and even earlier, you had mentioned too about skin breakdowns, but there can be like rashes just because of 
the product itself is irritating to somebody's skin, you know, and looking at all of those types of things. I wanted to um, ask, are, are you guys working together right now? Or are you just in conversations um, with, with Cine and, and Bella Groves? Yeah, I'll, I'll tackle that on. Uh, so Deanna, what she said earlier about, um, you know, relationships and um, building that for the long run, I think, you know, we're, we're one of those examples where, we haven't um, we haven't signed on the dotted line with one another in any official capacity, but ever since we met uh, a little over a year ago, that's you know we've we've had so many conversations and relationship starters and connecting other people like this conversation with you, Lori, uh, came from Deanna, and so I love that um, Deanna she stands behind her philosophy and she just connects people together whether they're working with them or not. Um, having said that, there's there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that uh, for us, um, it's, it was just a matter of time of when we kind of bring that uh, service on for our residents and our families. And uh, part of what we're doing with that Dementia Navigator service to help people at home is to um, take organizations like SENI who don't have a direct-to-consumer route, uh, as far as I'm aware, um, but for us as as an organization to act almost like a fulfillment center for those clients and to say, oh, you don't know where to get great incontinence products? Well, we'll do that for you and give that to you as part of your membership. Um, If you don't know how to hire caregivers, how to put a ramp on your house, um, these are all things that we have the capacity to bring these relationships uh, and have them work for you. So um, yeah, no, we're 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 not official um, Sunny product um, users yet, but we will be. Mm-hmm. Well, and my guess is is for you, James, relationship comes before product. <laughs> you you want to know that you're dealing with someone who's sound and who has something that really viably is going to work for you. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe have a cheat answer mm-hmm. here, Lori, because mm-hmm. um, I think. When you prioritize relationships, you you actually get the good, the best products out of that too. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to think of any example where I've had a superior product, but I've had to deal with a bad relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you the the people that tend to have good relationships with you tend to back the companies that have the back the best products and services. So I think those two are actually the same. But the only real way to get to a superior quality product is to have the relationship up front. Mm-hmm. Deanna, any thoughts you want to add? Yeah, I would agree. It's um, it, it's so crucial, um, especially with, we're, we're dealing with human beings. We're helping human beings at the end of the day. So um, I think you, you definitely, when you look at services, products, communities, r- relationships are key. I own, and, you know, for the most part, um, I almost look at it kind of sort of like with communities, it's a partnership. It's um, there'll be questions. There could be some hiccups, but it's how you navigate through as one ultimately favorable outcome should come from that. So um, yeah. So, so I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. We're excited um, about the future and um, uh, to, to work with Bella Groves and to continue um, I'm excited to continue to work with James. I know there's so many other channels to get down. Um, it's just, it's exciting time. You yeah. know, we're, 
big company, but kind of, sort of. We're new to the USA, so we've got a small team here, and it is a, a shift in that mindset from commodity to critical continuum of care. So, um, so we're kind of grassroots with um, with things that we're doing too, and it's it's fun. It's fun when you make a difference and. You hear, I know, you know, people will say with my teammates and I, you guys are way too comfortable with it. We're like, you know what we are? And we're proud of it. So I don't have to change sheets. It's like, yes, you slept through the night. Woo. You know, so it's, um, it's good. It's good. It is good. And I think one of the things that I like about uh, both of you is you, you know, when you're looking at products or services, you're really looking at collaborations, you know, you're looking deeper and it's not just a, a one-time, one-time off purchase, you know, thanks, I needed this, but you are building relationships and that is going to continue and you are supporting one another and, and um, challenging one another, you know, with ideas and, and concepts. And, and I think that's a, a really beautiful, beautiful thing that to me makes me want to go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I love about my job too, is like, I don't have all the answers. I don't, I don't, I hope no one thinks that I think I do because I know I don't. Um, and even if something is working well, it, in my eyes, it can always be improved too. So, you know, the best way to be able to do that is to have good solid communication. And you know, like you said, work through those hiccups if they are some, uh, that's where some of the best brainstorming comes from, you know, working together uh, by those affected. Well, this has just been a, a wonderful, wonderful show. I do want to um, give information out so people know how to contact you. So for James, you can go to bellagroves.com or you can call 512-810-8244. And for Senny, you can go to their website, Senny, S-E-N-I-USA.com. Or you can email Deanna and we have that listed that, but we've just made it real easy to click through there on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook as Sunny Cares. And again, you know, know that you can get some samples. They'll help you through this process as well. And if you're, if you're a business, reach out, they'd love to talk to you as far as uh, incontinence products and how they can improve not only the quality of life for your residents or those you care for, but for your staff as well. And for those families, you know, it's just a kind of a no brainer to not have this conversation. So to both of you, I just want to thank you so much. I I loved your insight to our listeners. I want to ask that they be givers of hope, you know, share this show. There's so many people that need to hear this information in the industry, family members, people living with dementia who might be you know, earlier onset, let them hear, you know, what's going on and what good quality care looks like and learn from, you know, what are the questions that should be asked and what should be, what should we be allowing families to say, you know, we, we need to teach them. It's okay to say, I want joy. I want comfort, you know, for my, for my person. And this is what it looks like for them. Um, That's a way we deliver great care and work as a team. So again, um, like, click and share, um, be a giver of hope. And um, I can't wait for our next episode. We have one more to go. This is a a four-part series uh, sponsored by SENI. So again, thank you all so much and we'll see you next time. Bye now.